welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Um, to those of you that are around Awaken often, you might be realizing that there is no greeting this morning. And for all the introverts in the room who hate that part of our gathering, you're welcome. There were a couple of people who applauded first hour, so maybe more introverts come first than second hour. And then um, this is a, uh, a Daphosaurus. This is uh, my good friend Francis's. He carries it around on Sundays. And he wanted this to be here today while I preached. And so it is. So there you go, Francis. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Um, and actually, I'm going to invite you to stand as we read the scriptures. So if you can, please stand. Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God every time I remember you and all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful. Will carry it, uh, he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Pray with me if you would. God, as we turn our attention to um, your word, I pray that, maybe as I do every week, that it would be what you say it will be, alive and active, that it wouldn't go out and return void, but that it would do something in us, uh, that it would... It would do the things that you hope that it would do and accomplish something in us. So, God, for our part, um, we open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to hear you and see you and sense you to the degree that we can. And God, whatever is your part, we invite you to do that to the degree that we can uh, and desire to. So help us see you, help us hear you, help us sense you in real and powerful and transforming ways this morning, God. And all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, I number my sermons, teachings, my talks, whatever, I, whatever you want to call what I do, in my computer. And so each week there's a number and then a title or a text and then whatever else is added there. And I was saving this week's and I saved my 299th sermon. So next week will be my 300th sermon at Awaken, um, which is kind of wild kind of wild to think about. That's uh, seven and a half years, about 40 sermons a year for the last seven and a half years. And uh, if you didn't know, my family and I are headed out on a sabbatical in three weeks. And so I have three more weeks with you. And as I was reading the text for this week and Philippians chapter one, we've been doing the narrative lectionary, which is basically kind of stops along the way in the story uh, throughout the whole Bible. And the passage for this morning was a part of Philippians one. And then I kept reading And uh, I got to be honest with you all, I was overcome with emotion and connection to this passage as Paul, the apostle, writes this letter to this small little church that he started. And I thought, what a fitting way to end the narrative lectionary for an an eight on the Enneagram than to not do it. So that's what we're going to do for the next three weeks. We're not going to keep going with the narrative lectionary. I'm going to do a three-week series in Philippians chapter one because I want to. Um... And so if you're committed to the narrative lectionary, you might need to find another church next week because they'll be teaching that and we won't. 
But um, what I want to do is I want to spend the last three weeks that I have with you in Paul's letter that he wrote to this church. uh, Because in it, he is swept up in his affection for this group of people. He shares with them his hopes and his dreams, his gratitude, um, the confidence that he has in what is happening in them and through them in the world. And so over the next three weeks, that's what we're going to do. That's what I want to do. And so as we do that, and the reason we're doing it, uh, being this sabbatical that we're on, I want to say a few words about sabbatical before we jump into Philippians. Um, Sabbatical comes from the word Sabbath. And Sabbath, if you didn't know, is the translation of a Hebrew word called Shabbat. Uh, Jewish people around the world still celebrate this every week. Shabbat just means this. It means to cease, to end, or to rest. So when God makes the world and God says work for six days and rest for one, Shabbat, one day, literally in Hebrew it just means stop, cease, rest. So sabbatical is an intentional stopping, ceasing, resting, from the work of ministry, in my case. Um, Why is Sabbath important in the Bible? One could argue that this idea is the essence of time in the scriptures. This word Shabbat and the number seven are the basis for time. Every seven days, stop, cease, rest, celebrate with those around you. Uh, Every seven years, Israel was encouraged to let the land rest, to stop farming it. Cease from working it. Let it rest. Uh, Celebrate its fruitfulness without asking it to do anything for you. Every seven years of seven, uh, 49 years, there's a year called the Jubilee. Stop. Cease. Rest. Release prisoners. Like hit reset in all of the ways that you've become out of sync and out of tune with God's hopes and dreams for how this is all to work as humans in interaction with those around you and the earth that you live on. Shabbat has two sort of ideas with it. Remember and observe. Remember who you are. Remember who God is. Remember who your neighbors are. Remember your place in the world. Uh, remember that you, are, uh, you don't make the world go round but rather someone or something else does. You are not in control of everything. Remember that you're beloved, that you belong before you do anything. Sabbath isn't your reward after six days for all the work that you've done. It's actually Adam and Eve, uh, the first humans, it's their first day of creation. They start from rest. It's not the carrot at the end of the stick. It's the place from which we live and move and have our being. Remember that you're not a machine, that you're a human being with limits and ends. So remember some things and then observe some things. Observe that there's something outside of you. So let it act on you. Let it stand over you and control you because you don't control the world because you're not God. Observe the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. So sabbatical comes from Sabbath. And Sabbath is the very heart and soul of time for humans in the Bible. In the same way that, or the same reason that I want Sabbath for you as a congregation, which is why I talk about it all the time, it's the same reason that a church wants sabbatical for its pastors. We want pastors whose hearts are whole. We want pastors whose hearts are sensitive to the spirits leading in their lives, who aren't dull to that. We want pastors who, are, uh, who can hear and sense the sound and the subtle movements of God in their own life. We want pastors who are leading and giving from a place of abundance and overflow, not depletion. 
We want pastors and their families to know that they're loved and valued and respected as people, not as a means to our spiritual ends. And so we say, Sabbath, rest. Now, hopefully, uh, some of you have read the little letter that we put together, the frequently asked questions about sabbatical that we sent out as an advisory team. Because I think it's important that we talk about this as a congregation. Like, why is this important? It's not just, well, Mike has taken a three-month vacation. No, there's actually, like, um, philosophical, theological, uh, human reasons why this is important. This is, the kind, this is about DNA and culture. Like, this is the kind of church we want to be. I hope and pray that someday Jenna gets to this place as our, one of our full-time pastors, and we give this gift to Jenna as a pastor, or whoever else might come as full-time pastors at Awaken. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit and just sort of set the table for why sabbatical. We'll talk a little bit in the next few weeks about what. We'll just give you some updates on what we're going to do. But um, as we begin this little mini-series from Paul and Philippians to this church, because I've got three weeks left, I wanted to start there. So now let's turn our attention to Philippians and what Paul is saying to this little church in Philippi. Uh, if you didn't know, Paul was a missionary. He planted churches. Um, people talk about, like, why do we need another church, or why do we need church planters? And I would just argue, well, one of the most important and influential people in the Bible was a church planter, Paul. He started multiple churches, and one of them was this church in Philippi. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, it tells the story of how this church started. Now, this is fascinating. In this little port city in Macedonia called Philippi, it looked a lot like uh, Lilydale, actually. There was a comedy club on one end and a dive bar on the other, and then this giant, like, western saloon mini mall in the middle. You would not believe it if you saw it, guys. I'm telling you. For those of you who have, you don't know what I'm talking about, that's where we started. It was called Lilydale. It actually exists. It was real. <laughs> Paul finds his way with Silas to this little church, this little place called Philippi. And they make their way into the town, and like they always do, they look for people of peace. People whose hearts are warmed to the idea of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and God. And so they make their way down to the river, and they meet a woman named Lydia. All good churches start with a woman. Uh, her name was Lydia, and Lydia was like a mover and a shaker. She was at the center of the town's like happening. She was a... Tr uh, she traded textiles and like garments and dyeing, not dyeing, but like dyeing fabrics. So that's what she did. And the text says that it, uh, Lydia, her heart was warmed to the gospel. Uh, she believed in the Christ and her and her family are baptized. So the first family of the church of Philippi on the launch team was Lydia and her household. Now then Paul and Silas meet a, uh, a demon-possessed woman, which is just like what happened to me at the joke joint. Actually, that's not true. I did get a call from Ken, the owner of the Joke Joint, once, and he's like, um, so this weird, like, cable TV, uh, they're doing a show on ghosts, and we, we've heard that the Joke Joint is haunted. Um, do you, can you comment on that? And so Ken calls me, and he's like, you're a pastor. Is the Joke Joint haunted? I don't know. I was like, bro, dude, you got other problems. I don't know about haunted, but it's, uh, except for that time when you decorated at Halloween. Any of you in the room were there for that? They used to decorate the Joke Joint for Halloween, and they would, like, hang dolls like dead babies from the ceiling and it was awful you guys my worship pastor at the time he's like i'm out i will not lead the church in this place i convinced him to do it but it was weird um so this they made a demon possessed woman right and so they cast the demon out of this girl who's a a, a lucrative means to an end i mean she's a trick show right she is like a, a, a sideshow act in a carnival 
And so some guy owns this girl, and so when she doesn't have a demon in her, she's no longer interesting to pay money to watch, which gets Paul and Silas into all kinds of trouble. They get put in prison, and then there's an earthquake. If you've ever heard this story, the the Philippian jailer, I was going to say the Philippian, I'm like, no, that's not it. The Philippian jailer, there's an earthquake, all the bonds and the chains in in the prison get loosed, And the jailer's like, I'm a dead man because nobody loses all the prisoners and they're all free. And he's about to like fall on his own sword. And Paul's like, whoa, whoa, settle down. No need to take matters into your own hands, my friend. We're free, but we're just singing hymns to the Lord because that's what everybody does when they get freed from prison. And this guy's like, y'all crazy. What must I do to be saved? Right? He says, how do I get in on this thing? Like nobody does this. So Lydia and her house and the Philippian jailer and his house are the launch team for the church of Philippi. This is how you know that God is involved in church planting because the launch teams are always just the weirdest people. I'll leave it there. These are the beginnings of the church at Philippi. And it's to this church that Paul writes this letter. These are the same people who said Paul was going back to Jerusalem to bring an offering to the Jerusalem church and they're like, Do not keep us out of this. They were poor. They didn't have a lot of means, but they said, we must give because it's in our hearts, and they overflowed with generosity. Out of their poverty, generosity overflowed. Huh. That's an interesting sermon for when I get back from the sabbatical. This is the beginning of the church at Philippi, and this is the letter that Paul writes to them. And he begins with two words, grace and peace. Grace and peace, which most people skip over because it's the introduction. The absolutely free expression of the love of God finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of God. I mean, come on, that's a sentence, right? Raise your glasses. So good. Absolutely free expression of the love of God finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of God. Ephesians 2.8, Paul says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, not of your own doing, but because of grace. It becomes a message Paul speaks of in Acts 20 when he says, However I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now, a lot of people think that grace is God's response to sin, but I would argue that grace is actually there in the beginning. Before creation breathes its first breath, the whole thing is bathed in grace. Grace is not God's response to sin, but it's actually who God is and what God is. Free, gift, abundance, benevolence, love, all yours and available from the very get-go. It's not a response to a problem, but it's the character and the heart, the very nature of who God is. Paul begins his letters to nearly every church with grace, the absolutely free expression of the love of God to you, favor, joy, pleasure, gift, with no expectation of anything in return. My grandpa Elmer, may he rest in peace, he always used to say, Micah, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Which is essentially saying that in our world, there's always an agenda. Right? Like there's always something being expected in return. It's tit for tat, quid pro quo. That's the economy of the world we live in. But Grace says, oh, actually, there's something different going on. It's free, it's gift, it's blessing, and it's playing. Can you hear the song? It's happening right now, and do you want your life to be connected to that? From the very beginning, grace says otherwise. In a world that we live in, where there is no such thing as grace, in Christ, 
grace is yours. The question is, will you receive it? Right now, if you go into a store, there's seasonal items, right? End caps, things that are here this season and they're gone next season. Not the case. Grace is always available. Every moment of every day, every breath that you take, it's grace. Every move that you make, every step you take, uh, it's grace, you guys. It's always there and it's available to you. The question is, do you want it? And do you know it? Have you experienced grace? When you got what you didn't deserve because someone loved you, when it was free and it was yours with no expectations, no strings attached. My wife and I, we always say grace showed up in the window boxes. A couple of years ago, after we first started the church, it was springtime, just like this. Everybody was planting their flower boxes and everything's getting ready for the summer. And it was just an awful, awful season at the church. So for whatever reason, that always happens around Easter. I don't know why. I have a few theories about that. But it was terrible. I was so stressed and so busy from all this conflict that was happening, I could hardly keep my head above water. I made these window boxes and I put them on my, our house and somebody's like, why don't you have flowers in your window boxes? And I'm like, you have no idea. Let me tell you why I don't have flowers in my freaking window boxes. <laughs> so stressful. We're telling somebody about this, our, some of our bestest friends. So they find us, they, find, they figure out like when we're going to be gone. And we're gone for like an afternoon. They drive from like southern Lakeville. They go to the flower store. They buy soil. They buy Gerber daisies and pansies and all kinds of petunias, beautiful flowers. They come to our house secretly. They put dirt in our window boxes. They plant rows of flowers. And we're driving down 6438 down the hill. We turn into our driveway, and there is grace in the window box for all to see. Do you know grace? Do you have grace? Do you want grace? Grace, do you need grace? Paul says, grace and peace to the church at Philippi. Grace is yours if you take it, if you receive it, if you will drink it in. Grace, peace. What about peace? Irene, charis kai irene. The unfortunate thing about peace is many of our definitions are a little one-sided. Like one that I found said, the assurance of reconciliation through the blood of Jesus. I don't disagree with that, but I think peace might be a little more robust than that. Um, like often when we talk about peace or when people talk about peace in churches, we think about like some future date far off in some other place called heaven, like for souls, disembodied souls someday that will have peace. We're reconciled to God through Christ. We have peace. That actually sounds more like Gnosticism to me, and it's a heresy refuted by the church, but that's another sermon for another day. Um, Question, does peace have anything to do with today? Does it have anything to do with here, right here, right now? The irony is, not the irene, the irony is that peace is used a bunch in the New Testament. Only once is it used about the future. Every other time, present. Does peace have anything to do with this world, these animals, this cosmos, these politics, these conversations, these systems? According to the scriptures, it does. One person in seminary once told me, always read the New Testament with Old Testament ears and eyes. So this is Ezekiel chapter 34, and this is what the prophet says. Listen, pay close attention to what brings about all of the things he says. Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34. <laughs> I will make a covenant of peace with them, and here's what happens. I will rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forest in safety. 
I will make them in the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season, and there will be showers of blessing. The trees will yield their fruit, and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land, and they will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke, rescue them from the hands of those who have enslaved them. They will no longer be plundered by other, the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety, and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. This, then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the Israelites, are my people, so declares the sovereign Lord. What brings about all of this change and transformation? It's peace. Shalom. Paul begins a letter to the church in Philippi with grace and peace. Universal flourishing wholeness and delight, one author says about peace. The Old Testament peace and the biblical understanding of peace is broader in scope than just concerned with spiritual things or my soul when I die, but it is an all-encompassing thing that has to do with our, every facet of our lives, relational, cultural, global, economic, political, social, cosmic, everything. So who needs grace and who needs peace this morning? I need it. Personally, I need it. I think you need it. No, maybe that's for you to judge, but I need grace and peace in my life. Left to my own devices, I experience anything but grace and peace. I'm selfish. I protect my own interests all the time. I look out for myself. I'm not filled with grace, and consequently, I don't experience peace because that's not life, how we were intended to live it. So there's a, diff there's a dichotomy. There's a, a, a disintegration in me. Communally, we need grace and peace, Right? We live in a world that's all about the autonomous achievement of the individual. That's the opposite of grace. Our culture knows nothing of gift, nothing that's for free, that can't be commodified. So how then does a world that hears grace and peace hear that when they don't understand the very economy upon which those words are based? They need someone to tell them about it. They need someone to embody what grace and peace looks like. Man, what could we do about this? Like, who could we ask to embody grace and peace for a world who desperately needs grace and peace? I have no idea. Wait. The church at Philippi. No, the church in Lilydale. No, the church in St. Paul. No, the church in Roseville. No, the church in White Bear. No, the church in Lakeville. All the churches, how about that? This is the whole plan, gang. Paul writes a letter to a group of people who are in the world for, to do something, to be something, and it's to offer grace and peace, to live countercultural lives, to live in such a way that people look around and go, why do you do the things that you do? What is this free gift that you give with no strings attached? I don't understand it. I don't experience this on a day-to-day -day basis. What is it about you, you weirdos? What, you, 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 you start a coffee company, which is a capitalistic endeavor to help kids not be homeless anymore? Nobody does that. That doesn't make any sense. How do you make money doing that? That's the bottom line. So why are you doing that? You live peculiar lives. To the church at Awaken, I would say grace and peace to you. I have watched this community live out grace and peace time and time and time and time again, which is why... I can say like Paul, I am thankful for you and I am confident. As I get ready to leave for three months and I say, peace out, I'll see you in three months, I am so grateful. I think about you all the time. I don't pray probably as much as Paul does. It's one of my things that I'm working on. 
But I think about you all the time, and I think about the ways in which you are out there doing it. If you could just, like, if we could tell story after story of the people that sit in these pews and the things that you do for your work as you live out grace and peace, it's astounding. There would be tears everywhere. And I see it. I watch it. I'm so grateful for you. I thank God when I remember you. And I'm, I'm confident. Paul says, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the end. I can be confident for a lot of reasons as I stand uh, about to leave and say, like, where are my keys? If I had keys, like, here are the keys to the car to my 16-year-old child. You know, like, I could be really anxious and nervous. And in some ways, like, I'll be honest, I feel that. But more than that, I'm so confident. One, because of the people here the staff and the advisory team and the leaders and those who serve on your behalf and who consistently pour out their lives for the sake of the gospel, you would, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better group of people. I'm confident in them, but more than that, I'm confident, like Paul, that he who began a good work in you and 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 you, regardless of whether you're here or somewhere else, for as long as you've been here, it's blessing, and I'm confident that that work will be carried out to completion. Why? Because Christ has been faithful. Hallelujah, amen. The same Jesus who was raised from the dead who says, who said, I will bring it back together. I will show the way. I will put this broken thing back together. Follow me. That same Christ is at work in you. So I'm confident, not because of my efforts, not because John Mark is such a great musician, not because I preach such great sermons, not because this is such a great church, but because the spirit of the living God is at work in this place, and I see it all the time, and so I can say, I'm so confident that the same Jesus who raised, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you and in me. And according to the text and according to all that I have experienced, I will testify to it that that spirit, that Christ, that God will be faithful all the way to the end. That whatever has been begun in you, all the way until your last breath, that Christ will be faithful. And so as I go, you all will learn all kinds of new things. You'll learn that I am really loud. And I take up a lot of space. And when I'm not here, there will be all kinds of space to do things that nobody else thought to do. Praise Jesus. You'll learn that this church is bigger than any one person. You'll learn that there are gifts present here which have yet to be discovered. You will learn and you will watch people grow in, in maturity, which I'm going to talk about next week, the things that I long for and hope for for you as a community. I will learn things. My family will learn things. My kids will learn something about what it means to be a part of a community that loves them. And as pastor's kids, man, whew, you can't put a price tag on that. So I am grateful and I'm confident that the work that has begun in this church will continue, whether I'm here or you're here, or not. Because it's not about me, it's not about you. We get to be involved in this thing, but it's ultimately about the faithfulness of Christ who died and was risen again and whose, who, whose presence is in the center of this community, at work, every day, as you leave this building. So, as anxious as I am, as excited as I am, more than that, I'm confident that what Christ has begun in this community will continue in this community. So, maybe you need grace and peace today. Maybe you've never experienced it like this community is trying to embody it. And to that I would say, I would invite you to consider 
what that would mean to receive for the first time the grace and the peace of Christ offered to any and all. Maybe you feel emboldened, invited to step into, to add to the confidence that I've talked about in this community in getting engaged in some way that you haven't yet. To that I would say, doors open. Part of the job of the pastors in this church is to help find the hopes and the dreams of God in God's people and to make way for it, to clear spaces for it. So I would say, we need you. We want you if you're not involved yet. I'm going to offer a word of prayer, and I'm going to invite you to consider taking a few moments in silence to think about what is it that God might be inviting you this morning. So if you would, pray with me. God, as we take a few moments to be quiet and to still our hearts, I begin with the assumption that you are present, that you are for us, that you are good, that you love us, and that we are beloved before we do anything. And so in the next few moments of silence, God, I pray that for my friends here this morning who maybe are considering what would it mean to make the grace and peace that Paul talks about and that they've heard of today a reality in their own lives. Holy Spirit, move, I pray. For those who are considering maybe taking a step towards commitment and involvement in this community, calling it home and making it their place of service and investment. Holy Spirit, would you move and would you speak? Every week I stand up here and I leave you with grace and peace. It's not because I have nothing better to say. It's because of everything I just said. So grace and peace. See you next week, my friends. Love you. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.